Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Collector's Corner. My name is P. You may know me as Aston Cloud Online. I'm here with my co-host, Jared. You may know him as J underscore pause or Jared underscore pause online. And today we're doing another episode of Into the Collection, and we are featuring the amazing collection Screens by Thomas Lynn Peterson. And even more excitingly, today we have Thomas Lynn Peterson with us. He's been so gracious to join us through different time zones and family and bringing you excellent art. And so we are extremely excited to have him here. Before I go through all my disclaimers and stuff, I, I just have to jump in. How are you today, Thomas? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to uh, sit and chat about uh, yeah art and stuff, both my own art and, and art in general. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, I'm going to do a quick introduction to Thomas for folks who may not know him or may not be familiar with screens. So Thomas is a generative artist. He's based in Denmark, where he lives with his wife and his two sons. His art merges the digital precision of computer-based art with an organic feel, exploring the tension between perfection and flaws. Thomas's work has been featured on Artblocks as part of the curated series on Bright Moments Foundation. He actually has multiple Artblocks collections and uh, many other digital art platforms. So thank you again for being here, Thomas. We are really excited to jump in. Just some really quick house cleaning stuff. As with all our episodes, we're going to have timestamps at the bottom. In this episode, we're going to spend a little bit more time talking to Thomas about his process, him as a collector, etc. And then we'll dive into the collection itself and as always go through the various characteristics of the collection so you can get familiar with it. And you can look into those timestamps to jump to different parts, whatever you'd like. This episode will be on video, will be on YouTube. For those who are listening on audio, we will also have a DECA gallery where we go through a lot of the content that you can reference later or follow along while listening on audio. And finally, please thank Sorry, please like, subscribe, comment, and review. We really appreciate it. It helps us a lot, and we love hearing from you. And finally, disclaimers. Uh, I currently do not own any screens. That will be changing soon. Jared, I believe, do you have any screens, Jared? I don't. I've uh, put a bunch of wrapped ETH bids on them, and unfortunately, <laughs> nobody's willing to let go of them at the at the, the prices I was trying to accumulate. But definitely something I have a lot of attention on. Well, that is not surprising because, as we said, we cover the top generative art collections and uh, certainly feel that this is one. So a lot of talking by me. I'm going to throw it over to you, Thomas, and ask you, number one, how are you doing today? And number two, yeah, like maybe we can just dive into your, we're talking a little bit before we started recording, but into your journey into generative art. Yeah, um, I'm fine. It's uh, it's evening and it's uh, dark in Denmark at this time of year. So um, it's, I wouldn't say sleepy, but it's getting there. But it's all good. It's always invigorating to talk about that. So uh, we'll get through it. Yeah, so um, yeah, we were talking about my journey, which is, is a weird one. I am perhaps surprising to some. I'm coming from a background of uh, being a food scientist. My bachelor and master was in food science and microbiology where I gradually moved more and more towards statistics and bioinformatics, which I did a PhD in. And from there, quickly went into like data science stuff, 
which is like bioinformatics is really just data science with biology. If you really like, <laughs> and there are some bioinformaticians who would like crucify me for saying that, but, but basically like doing numbers based on some data and, and bioinformatics is biological data. Data science is kind of broader. But during that time, like during my PhD, I began to get involved in the open source world. A lot of my, my work is based on R, a programming language with statistics. And, and I've, I've always had an affinity for like graphics design and, and stuff. So I was drawn to like data visualization quite early on. In the beginning, mostly just because I wanted to make like plots that look better, but, but quickly I began, began to become drawn into like the, the theory and programmatically also how you can like think about how you can describe plotting and so on. So I, like during my PhD, I began to contribute to a, a couple of packages and began to write my own open source uh, packages. And that was kind of like a, a hobby for me for a while. But after my PhD and after a couple of jobs in data science, I, I got approached by RStudio, which is a bigger company in the R ecosystem that, that just does open source work. And, and they asked me to, well, do you want to do you wanna do this full time? And that was <laughs> like when you when you have a hobby and people ask you, so, do you want to do it full time and actually get money for it? Like, that's that's a no brainer. Yeah, so I, I began, yeah, becoming a software engineer full time, working on graphics, the whole graphics stack in, in R, basically from like down to writing PNGs and JPEGs up to like how do you programmatically describe a plot and so on. Yeah. So and and I'm still there. I like it's uh it's amazing to be able to like put effort into something that you can give away from free and and like empower people to to do their jobs no matter like their like economic ability. Like I feel that's that's uh, very uh, invigorating for me. So I have no desire to like stop doing that, even though like art has certainly taken more focus in my life in the last couple of years uh no doubt about that but yeah so so the move to to doing like open source work full-time also freed up a lot of my time actually because i was doing that every night and at, at, at that point in time i actually maintained quite a few packages that were very like active and it took a lot of time just maintaining stuff and, and me moving to be able to do that full-time meant that I could actually have other hobbies besides that. And Real quick, you you talk about hobbies and in the art. Do you mind speaking? Yeah. You know, in, in my research, I I saw that you collected gemstones as a kid, which I think everybody yeah. was like fascinated <laughs> with with rocks, right? Yeah, myself included. And then you also had uh, had indicated like Tyler Hobbs as an as an early influence. Do you mind speaking to? What uh, what has motivated you and kind of influenced you along your journey? I love the the open source references. Yes, it's um, it's interesting. So, so I was uh, before I, I began working with generative art, I, I was quite a serious amateur photographer. Not in like just for myself, but like I spent quite a lot of time chasing the light and and thinking about like post production and and just like really diving into compositional stuff and photography and so on. And I had to, I didn't have to give it up, but like I got kids and, and we talked about, <laughs> that is a time sink. 
a good one, but it's a time sink. And and like the idea of like, oh, honey, I have to uh, just leave now because the light is perfect. Um, can you just like like that doesn't work? So like at least that was put on ice for a prolonged time. And but I have like I have a creative drive inside me that needs fulfillment in some sense. So like by chance, I stumbled upon the concept of generative art, and I was like. It clicked immediately. I was like, I was designing and making data visualization, and to me, that it was just like when I saw it, like, well, this is just data visualization, but without data. So, and like, I can just make up data, like, and and make something that looks cool, like that instantly clicked, and and I began like using the tools I developed during my work to just make art instead. And I never looked back. So like photography is still on the back burner. But that is to say that I think what you can see in at least some of my work is my way of thinking about composition and my way of thinking about how to how to guide the viewer around a around a piece, like how to guide the eyes around a piece is very much influenced by a lot of the literature I read about, like photography, composition and so on. And it's actually something that I've been becoming more conscious about during the last year. The, the idea of being more conscious about the overall composition of, of a generative piece. I feel like we can get enamored by the system itself to an extent that is like, I want to display this fancy system. And then you display, like you put it just there on the screen for you to see. And, and there's... And it's fancy, true, but there's not much like uh, theoretical going on in terms of how to how do you like how do you having how do you ensure continued interest for the eye, like how how do you make sure that that viewers don't like, yeah, that does look cool, and then move on because like we are in a consumption like a, a an art consumption frenzy at the moment. Like, like it's so easy to make something cool and people agree, yeah, that is cool. But they're on to the next thing. And like, I, I really want to try to make art that, that people want to have hanging on their walls for like 20 years and still. Well, I have to compliment you. I think Screens does a phenomenal job of that. The more I've studied the, the project, dug into it, it, it's extremely captivating. The outputs are varied enough to continue the intrigue. And I, I can honestly say, and it's not because you're just on, I haven't gotten bored of looking at them yet. I also think that, you know, as you've developed and matured, you can see like with the uh, imprecision, you know, the, I, I will call it the the intrigue, especially from the, the algorithm there. It's been very um, fun from the peripheral to, to be able to observe that, that development. And I don't want to call it maturity because that's not the right word. Uh, now I'm looking yeah. for the right word, but it's to, just to see the the development of yeah. your outputs, and and I really really have loved how you've scaled. And this is something that P and I talk about all the time: how you scale the the number of outputs to the algorithm and to the to the audience, and you know, seeing you jump between screens and imprecision, and then obviously rapture is, you know, it's been it's been a fun to to see that voyage. Um, so yeah, I, I've definitely matured like during these last like the last year or year and a half uh which is like 10 years and crypto or something like that like my view on on my art since rapture has changed considerably 
And I would say that like screens is the first like series where I crystallize this idea that generative art is about more than than just an interesting pattern or an interesting system that you put in the middle and and just like here it is like because rapture is like obviously one of those things that i'm moving away from not that i'm not uh, happy about rapture and but i've just my view on what type of art i want to make now is is different and i, and, I think maturation is a good point i mean i wasn't there in nft nyc at the the samsung display but one of the standouts that i think was obviously the three-story display and what i continually heard about it was the the presentation of screens quite honestly and how well it scaled to to that and then the the presentation was so well received i mean obviously there's a lot of artists there and it's no disrespect to anybody else who was displayed but one of the things that captivated my attention uh post nft nyc was the the number of references to screens on that display so it, it, I, kudos to you and, and it's obviously the it's a compliment to say that your your maturation process is definitely getting noticed and it's cool how um you can see how the the art blocks outputs specifically can scale to everything i was actually just talking to somebody earlier today about this of you know it can be on a little digital display i mean i have my squiggle here on the uh infinite objects and then you can scale yeah. it all the way up to a, a three-story display so really really cool and and i i can see the development just personally speaking you know from project to project and it's been exciting to like i said on the peripheral to observe uh the development and growth it's been yeah. really fun yeah and i i love what you're saying about what is it that captures people's attention what you know color contrast what motion what other elements of the image could really draw someone in like you said for, for more than just a second and, and trying to understand that and given your background in biology i'm sure there's there's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down and trying to uh, <laughs> discern what that looks like and obviously yeah it, yeah and it's something i think about too so it's a super interesting question that well i would probably talk forever about but I wanted to ask you, you're, you're talking about the evolution of your art, how it evolved from rapture to screens. What what are you thinking about now, technique-wise, that you're maybe working on or is interesting you, to you that you're willing to share? And do you have something else that you're working on or considering <laughs> releasing, uh, even if it's uh, six months from now or, or yeah. two years or whatever? I am working on something. Like, I'm sharing stuff on, on Twitter, so that's not like a secret that I'm working on something. What it really is about is is a secret right now. <laughs> but but I like as you can see, like I am I'm not done with the aesthetic I brought into the world with screens and the small constructive series that predate screens. I'm still like really, really intrigued by this color layering that, that you have in screens, like like monochrome colors just overlapping and that like very complex interactions that you can get through very few simple colors that are just like put on top of each other. So what I'm working on now is it's a continuation of that aesthetic. It's a continuation of a lot of the, the rendering code and screens is present there as well. I've further developed because I've had more time since then. I've learned stuff since then. But the subject matter is, is obviously different. This is um, what I'm working on now is, is way more pattern-based, trying to 
not having repeated patterns, but it's it's um it's an exercise again in in compositional uh, dynamics. I would say like like how can you how can you with very few rules create very diverse and interesting uh, compositions this time purely pattern based. So yeah, I'm working on that, and and that is uh, to be announced what it's for. I'm still also working like mentally working on on my like next art blocks or like my next big project how it should be um it was fantastic to be able to release in precision in the way that it was done in in london with bright moments where like every mint was based on like it was minted and then people wouldn't see it before it came out of the printer during the course of like 10 minutes because it was a huge print that was just for me fantastic it, it, it allowed it both allowed and forced people to like take it easy and just like take it in as it came out and and for me as an artist uh that is what i want people to do like they, i want them to slow down i want them to uh, latch on to small detailing and get acquainted with the piece and uh in a deeper level this is and perfect because you talk about like as the artist, but you are also, you know, just even cultivating that level of engagement for the collector. You're actually probably my favorite artist collector, meaning your vault is full of great pieces of art. Uh, would you mind speaking about, uh, I'll call it Thomas Lynn Peterson as the the collector? Because I'll have to tell you, when I saw you buy, I was there the, the second it was bought the the i'll call it the roaring lion out of memories yeah. and you know this is when the the floor was sub sub one eth and you bought it for 5.9 you know i i was still called earlier on in my collecting and it just it it was one of those emergent pieces that like is, is the i'll call it that one of the top grails out of anybody who's who's familiar with the collection and i've seen really really prevalent collectors put in wrapped eth bids on it because i track it every once in a while and it's a, uh, but you know, as I started digging into you as the the collector, I mean, I'm just, I'm amazed at uh, not only your eye, which obviously being an artist, I think is superior to most, but the the just the commitment to giving back to the community, if that makes any sense, because I mean, you've made substantial investments in in art blocks specifically. I mean, I, I almost think that you're going for a, a full curated set is, is what my gut tells me. But the, uh, you know, it, it's impressive what you've done. Do you mind speaking to, you know, putting on the, taking off yeah. the artist hat and putting on the yes. collector hat? I'll try. Well, I can't take it off completely because like me being an artist with two successful Adblux releases is the thing that allows me to be a collector in the way that I am. It's definitely a, like, it's a privilege to be able to do that just for the sake of it like <laughs> I, I it was not something I, I would be able to do if i just like i was just a art interested person so like that's that's it now i'm taking off the artist hat now i'm just like having the funds to uh to make a fantastic collection i don't know like I, for me i've always been collecting stuff and before web3 i was also collecting art to some extent that was just in tubes and someone sometimes in frames but a lot of tubes the tubes are still there uh and they are multiplying because I'm, i really enjoy the the physical manifestation 
of, of also digital art. So like I'm not I'm not done buying prints. I really enjoy that. But what Web three gave me first and foremost was an explosion of availability of generative art, of course, but also a way for me to scratch the itch of collecting, so to speak, without filling additional rooms with with uh, tubes. And and it started like um, my my journey into to Web three came through Tessus and and Higginunk and and that really like the early days of Higginunk was it was basically uh, a few collectors and then just a bunch of artists buying each other's work. I was like it was a fantastic feeling of just the shared like commitment to elevating each other. So so like when I moved or not moved but when I began to also uh, do stuff on, on Ethereum like I think I took that mindset with me to some extent that I was like I was very quickly blessed with a very successful collection I would say by chance like not to undermine rapture and anything but like you cannot ignore the timing of that project which was out of my hands and just like incredibly lucky and like to me I really enjoy collecting, but I also feel like it's important to recycle something like, like I've, I've earned enough. Like I don't, if, if I want something, it is for longevity of, of this space. And, and the way I can do that is to continue making art, releasing art and, uh, and blockchain based art and elevate that part. But it's also to, to make sure that there's a decent, a decent ecosystem around all of these tokens and yeah. and to me like i i can do that because i now have the funds to do that so 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 to me it just makes a ton of sense to both scratch my itch around collecting art but also just like recycling stuff back in, into the community i think like that's a win-win for for me as an artist and and, and for the whole whole space so yeah yeah it's, so, <laughs> I, I mean, that, like that—that's the why I'm doing it, and and also like I, I'm also blessed with the idea that I don't have to sell what I buy. Like, like I'm a, I can be a hundred percent diamond hand collector <laughs> because I don't like my my income to collect comes from my own art. So, so I can also I can collect in another way than than most people because I don't, I got, I don't need to to have an upside to my collecting part. Like I can just I like that and. I have the funds for that. So, and I was going to say, let's make a statement. <laughs> right. Right. And I was going to say, despite that, you are collecting really awesome works at good prices. So, w- without even trying, you're, you're killing it <laughs> at the uh, investment game, even though that's not the intention. Although, perhaps uh, maybe not having to worry about that improves performance uh, in, in some ways. That, you know, we'll never sell. So, we'll never know. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. That's fair. I um, mine sit on a ledger and they're going to my sons. I mean, if they decide to sell in twenty years, yeah. then they can they can have it. But I, I'm the same way. I collect for for longevity. Yeah, yeah, and I think that a lot of people, to your point, Thomas, are not quite blessed in being able to do do so. And a lot of people, I guess, kind of stretch beyond their means. Like they really, really yeah. want that Fidenzo. That's beyond most people's means. But you know, whatever yeah. it is. But one thing that I would be really interesting to hear is you mentioned the artist ethos of supporting each other, particularly in Web3 and it perhaps even uh, in the smaller generative art community. This is like a very common behavior, which I think is awesome and wonderful. And more broadly in Web3, 
not just in art, but I feel like I, I love that connection and community feel. And it strikes me that a lot of artists will often support up and coming artists. And it's always a question of how do you find the up and coming artists? Because the discovery can be challenging. And I'm wondering how do you as putting on both your hats as an artist and a collector, look for up and coming folks that you may want to take under your wing? Is there certain things you're looking for? Or certain places you look or anything like that? Difficult to say. Like I, I obviously have huge blind sides, like blind, blind angles in 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 where I look and, and and what I do. So so I would say like even though I started in Texas, I have I have had a hard time keeping up with that community for for a while now. So I am I'm not the person discovering the new up and coming artist or generative artist that uh, that's on Texas. And that is not to say that those are not just as as accomplished as as people on on ethereum it's just like that's the blind angle i have that being said even prior to web3 like like we have a fantastic community of of generative artists that talk to each other and support each other help each other with techniques and business decision and and all that all moving in parallel to uh to the whole web3 movements and it's been amazing to be in that community like before the explosion of, of uh, Web3 generative art and, and, and during that, because like all of these friends that suddenly gained like huge successes beyond people's wildest dream was just like, it was crazy to see during last year that like, oh, you you got success now. Oh, you got success now. Oh, you I like, that was just fantastic, <laughs> fantastic feeling. And that's also like, so, so in that's in those circles, like we we get new people coming in, and and we'll just like, oh, what kind of work are you doing? And we're sharing work with each other, outside of any like collector base or anything. Like just like this is what I'm working on. So that is um, that is obviously how you, you would say alpha in uh, <laughs> in Web three to have as an artist and and a collector that that I can follow the development of quite a few series of bodies of work while they're being developed and, and like discussed with us as friends and so on. So that is like, I guess that's where most of my like big conviction around some of the, some of the different uh, series, like recently released Fontana. It's a series like I, I really, really enjoy it immensely. And I've been waiting for it to, released for a long time and now it was there and it was curated and it's fantastic but like there's been a long time running up to that where i've just been like seeing it develop and like I need to get it out in the world and building up like my own internal hype around this project and that all comes from this like fantastic group of, of generative artists that we're just like have cultivated a fantastic community around if you don't mind yeah, me so interrupting so thomas the the when you talk community, it's one of the things that I've noticed most about you is your your involvement. You're obviously very active in Grailers. I also see it pop up a ton in Proof. And, you know, I just kudos to you. It's one of the things that I, I've come to admire about your integration into it. Even like recently, you know, a lot of the buys by uh, Curated and whatnot, you, you do an exceptional job of, you know, not only touching the artists, but uh, engaging with, uh, you know, the collectors. And, and I think that um, 
it's something that I think will play out, you know, from a brand perspective very well for you. And I just, I see you like even recently, you know, in your opinions on QQL uh, within Grailers, I'll, I'll leave it there. Like I really appreciated your input. You know, I mean, I thought that it was, it was really impressive to see an artist engaging with collectors, not only about your own art, but uh, the community in general. And, and I just wanted to give you kudos, you know, before we transition here into, into screens, you know, keep the, the listenership waiting, but you know, you, I really admire your, your commitment to the community. I think it bodes well or will bode well in the future. And then especially, it, you know, you get to see your passion. So just take a moment to say thank you for everything you're doing and, and the engagement because, um, your passion shows through uh, in just about every engagement. So uh, I love your commitment to the community. Yeah. So, so just to just to touch on that quickly is I, I think a lot of collectors, like at least how they express it, is like oh, it's so, so fantastic to be able to to talk to the artists behind these kind of things, and that's very new to Web three and like the the very direct relationship there is. But like from an artist's point of view. This is also the first time that I've been able to talk to so many people that are interested in my work. So like, like purely egoistically is like, it's also just amazing to be able to engage and, and hear thoughts from people surrounding generative art and, and my art as well. Like, like it's, it's new. And, and, and even though I sold prints before and, and so on and was like fairly well-known generative artists prior to Web3, like I would never have these longer running engagement and discussions with, with people interested in it. So like to me, it's just it's just obvious to to engage in that kind of way. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I respect that you, my observation, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but your observation is you engage with the community, you take in the, the information, but you're also respecting like your own artist intent and the the need to to have your own self-expression. And and I think that that's, it's admirable and it's also hard to find that balance. But I, I personally see it in your work and it, it's cool to see it evolve and, and definitely going to follow you more along that journey because it's it's been fun to see it. Well, and, and I want to highlight, I mean, for folks who don't know, uh, Thomas has had maybe more than two, but I know of two community engagement efforts with screens uh right there was the one where please please correct me if i'm wrong but if i recall you kind of opened up the algorithm and people could uh, create more outputs than the ten thousand of the collection and the zero x techno uh kind of voted on the best one and i believe the winner got a screen maybe it was one of his screens perhaps maybe it yeah. was just him doing it alone so, so i can't take i can't take uh credit for that like that was all on techno i i fairly quickly after releasing screens i uh, i created a bunch of like surrounding services um one of those was was the screen surfer where we could just like click a button and a new screen would put up pop up and be discarded forevermore when you click the new one so like like true ephemerality the algorithm and and there was also some like a screen scaler and a bunch of other stuff but the idea of around the competition was was all on techno. I would say I keep he front ran me because I wanted to to do that for uh, another thing, but that's no no reason why I still can't do that. He was just the first one to come up. Got it, got <laughs> it. Well, but you, you you did this one. I know was you have the silk screens. Yeah, 
guess it was a competition, but you gave away 20 physical screen prints that were in, in silk, hence the name silk screen. Yeah. So the, 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 uh, the algorithm in screens is very much inspired by this print technique called silk screen printing, which is a mass production printing technique that really gained favor in the art world around Andy Warhol. Um, like uh, all of his kind of high edition uh, art pieces were all silk screen printed. And like to me, it's just come full circle to like, like do screens, but but do them in like the analog way of doing that and, and have like additioned prints of those. And and yeah, like again, like, why not just give them away to collectors? Like they, they should have it. It's awesome. <laughs> so, so yeah, so so like that's not the last time I'm doing that, obviously. So hopefully there'll be like a, a running occurrence of me doing a new silk screen print of, of a non out of bound screens. Well I, I look forward to that. And if you ever decide to do a competition with your lion memories, let me know. I'll uh, I'll definitely join that one. But awesome. So this let, let's since we're talking about screens, I want to go ahead and transition. I know it's late for you. I want to make sure uh, we we have enough time to get through it. So for everybody who is listening only, not watching on video, we're going to go ahead and share our screen now. And we are on our DECA.art gallery. As always, as I mentioned, we create one of these for each of these deep dives that we do. So hopping into screens, just some really quick backstory. Uh, it was released January 31st, 2022. There are a thousand pieces in the collection. The platform, launch platform was Artblocks Curated. And... Before we dive into the different traits there in the collection, I wanted to just, you, you touched on this a little bit, Thomas, but kind of the history of the collection. And you mentioned that you built off of your work that you had done on Rapture. And in addition to that, you were evolving it. Can you talk us through kind of your artistic intent and, and goals with screens and maybe perhaps some of the new techniques you were trying out? Absolutely. So just to start and finish with Rapture, that was like that collection was kind of the endpoint for something I've been working on for like several years. And while I've been enjoying that work immensely, it had also like informed me about the dreaded perfection of even colors in the digital art. Like, I was I was beginning to like really get an, get annoyed and have like rashes about like when I when I saw my uh, some of my earliest pieces being printed on on A one and so on like there were there would be these huge areas of of even background color and it just like it ticked me the wrong way I, I wanted less perfection I could feel like I wanted more grittiness and and I began to like look into different like dithering techniques where you would like digitally, you would get some grain by, by discretizing the colors, something that was actually developed to like reduce the amount of information needed to, to store uh, an image. But that was not really what I wanted to do. And, and, and what I, so, so what I began playing with was, was more this like monochrome gradient approach that ended up with small hand curated collection called Constructive which which was the birth of screens so what i wanted to what it ended up with was basically that i wanted to play with monochrome like single colors but 
but have them be as gritty as you could imagine you would have in in like old production methods like like silkscreen printing and riso printing and so on so so i i made constructive but i also felt like like this can be more and and this can this can be in a format where i don't hand curate all of these things and and so i toyed with how to do that in my head for like three months i i'm, I'm usually designing my art in my head like for for a long time before i'd sit down writing code and 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 screens was no different so so i had this like just thinking about how can you do something first and foremost how can you do something that is not flow flow based because that was like <laughs> that was too much at the moment and and, and also like I, I wanted to do something that was based on pure like more pure geometries but how could you infuse both like variation into something that is as simple as circles and squares and lines and so on how can you marry it with with this kind of gritty gradient that I wanted to do? So, so th- these were all the different like things I had in my head. Super interesting, and it it strikes me. You mentioned not doing flow fields. I- I'm wondering, are there still some kind of flow fields, but rather than lines flowing, you you kind of have planes flowing, right? These screens that might be curved or might be different, have different textures and colors and whatnot, but. It's sort of like a 2D plane rather than a single line. Is that yeah. fair to say? That is fair to say, but but they're not based on like this. Like when we see, as an artist, when we say flow fields, it's uh, this idea of harmonious noise function like that, that varies over areas and, and defines angular direction of, of particles or lines and so on. So you like like Fidenza is obviously the most the most well known example of, of flow field. But it's like it has a long history and, and there is nothing absolutely nothing wrong with it and, and people should still play with it. But it was just at that point in time it was also just ubiquitous and, and I wanted to like I have also been using it like for the most of that year. So I also felt like even though the world hadn't been interested in flow field. like like i personally wanted to do something else as well and yeah. move move away from like like i saw myself very much as an artist that were capturing dynamic systems in static pieces like like this idea of, of dynamics and you can see that in, in rapture as we're looking at right now like like this is it, it feels like a capture of some some evolving object right like like you 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 can see that as something that you can press play and it will continue to diffuse out and so on. And I wanted to pressure myself to, to like move, move kind of away from that and, and move into some more graphical territory with more strict geometries and, and play with that. So yeah, there was a lot of different things that played into how I wanted to approach my next series that all fed into how screens ended up. Oh man, I. I could talk to you forever about this. This is super interesting, <laughs> but I, I do want to make sure we get into the actual collection. And, you know, we're really excited to have you here because typically what we do is we go through these collections and we try to figure out, well, well, what's going on? Neither of us being technical enough to dive into the code and understand the various, you know, uh, techniques you might be using, even, and I assume a lot of what you're doing is custom. So they may not be obvious to someone who is more so. But what we typically do here is we go through all of the uh, different categories, as we call them, in the mm-hmm. metadata here, and try to explain to viewers what they are doing. 
you know, actually, uh, sorry, let me take one step back, Thomas. Uh, typically, we'll we'll also talk a little bit about why we chose this collection, and I'll just take a minute to give my piece on it, and then I'll I'll let Jared say it. And and actually, would love to hear your thoughts on uh, your own collection. Uh, you know, we obviously think it's wonderful, but it's I've never really asked an artist what they think about it, so that'd be cool to hear. But you know, some of the things that we look at for generative art collections that we think are really going to be just kind of stand the test of time and be wonderful collections, which we certainly feel that way about screens, but is just purely the aesthetics and it's it's gorgeous. I think you were talking earlier about how do you create images that captivate attention. Screens does this for me in, in, in many different ways, both the colors and the curves. We also think about the breadth of the collection when we're talking about long form generative art. Is there a good amount of variety while still retaining that unison and 100% in this collection? And I'll, I'll scroll through our DECA gallery a little bit so people can just get a sense of the, the breadth that you have here. Uh, of course, talking to you and we talk a lot about community. You've cultivated a wonderful community around this and a lot of true fans, which is uh, also important as we think about you know the fact that you said there's it's so much generative art out there now. It's important to have that and a lot of really, really big name holders and influential people in the space love this project and it's extremely well regarded. So that's my take on it. I mean, it really checks off all the boxes. We're sitting here in the middle of a horrible bear market talking about it still. And the floor price is, I think, rising, actually. We, we can jump to article after I've given you guys a chance to say your piece. But that's my piece. Uh, that's If any ask me why screens, why do all the research and do a deep dive on it. That's that's my answer. Um, maybe I'll throw it over to you, Jared. Yeah, I, aesthetically, I was drawn to it for for that screen printing type of appearance. It reminds me of like an old, uh, you know, '30s style movie poster. It's got that kind of like beautiful feel, and it, it it almost just feels. And I wish I would have seen this, you know, at the Samsung display in NFT NYC. Because like then like the the detail would have been really really enhanced in my opinion, but I really get that that emotional connection to it that it, it feels handmade even though it's a generative and it just it has a personal connection that that was always drawn into me. You know, you touched on top collectors, but you know I've got the list up here. Besides Thomas owning nine of him himself, you know you've got Snowfro at fourteen. You have curated with fifteen pieces in his collection. Zero X as Techno, as referenced earlier, has 16. You know, Rudia, the or Rudy A, however you want to pronounce it, you know, a huge, huge collector has 19. So, I mean, Blockbird with nine. I mean, th there's a really good pedigree here. And on top of it, it's so well embraced by the, the collector community. And then for obvious reasons, just aesthetically, it's, it's very engaging. I, I found myself, a little personal story, I talked about the wrapped ETH bids earlier. I was putting in a bunch of wrapped ETH bids earlier in the year, right before I curated bought it. I just saw a, a huge opportunity for upside. And uh, so much so that when, when I was at the Venus over Manhattan, I spoke to Todd and I kind of told him, I said, hey, what the heck, punk? You you, you took all uh, all of the, the ones that I was looking at. So it was, you know, it, it's got the attention of of amazing people. And, and, and at that being said, it's, it's also something that I feel has been unique in the market. I haven't seen much like it. And, you know, I'm always looking for first mover advantages. And, and Thomas, I think, nailed it on the head. It's just got a, a beautiful aesthetic and the variability and outputs that you see as you're scrolling through the screen right here 
are captivating in a very classic way to me. Thank you all. <laughs> I'm not good at taking compliments too much, but that's that warms my heart. Yeah, we can stop there. Uh, I mean, uh, but no, I'm just joking. It, it's it's all well deserved. Yeah, I, I, like like my personal feelings around screens is is very much that like this is. I'm not an artist that that gets fed up with my own art. I like and and I, I really, really love what came out of this algorithm. Like I love the mints. I am I am extremely proud of what I did because yeah, I, I do think that I ended up making something like unique. With I do think uh, like I ended up taking the right path in terms of how I wanted to approach long form generous about with this like I, I really feel the balance of the collection works extremely well and it's yeah so i, I think so too yeah. and <laughs> we've done many of these deep dives now and i will say the way that you balanced at least the obvious things in the metadata or sorry not obvious the, the things in the metadata i know there are other traits that emerge that are not in the metadata but the way you yeah. balance them is quite nice and logical so yeah, so sometimes there are things in the metadata in collections that are really hard to discern or tell, or you know, how does this make a difference? But I think you did a, a fantastic job of that, which I think really leads itself well for long form generative art, especially the way that yeah. people collect them. And you know, maybe this will. I know you're also a great collector, but since you're in the the artist circles, maybe we'll get some more artists listening to this episode. And we can shed a little bit of light on some of the analytics that we like to look at for collections and a little bit of the collector psychology, if you will. And so what we look at pretty, when we try to say, okay, over the long term, a lot of people are looking, you know, one day, one week, whatever, but we we're really interested in, okay, like what are these really culturally significant pieces of art? And uh, screens has the characteristics that we like to take a look at. So you see that the selling prices are slowly increasing. And I say slowly because there's a lot of volatility in this market, especially the crypto market with Ethereum and whatnot. But you see these daily listing prices having higher lows on the chart. And so that's always fantastic to see. Listing volumes are also dropping over time. That shows you that the items are getting into real true believers' hands. And you can see here that the market cap uh, versus cost basis. The market cap is above the cost basis and, and staying up there. Uh, only 64 listed right now out of 1,000, which is very good. Anything you want to add, Jared, to a numbers analysis? Jared's our numbers guy. The cost analysis or the market cap versus cost basis is the one that I'm looking at mostly. Um, obviously, not financial advice. Listen to our disclaimer at the end, but you know, it's in ETH value, it's found very good support in USD value. You're starting to see those higher lows in, in an upturn. You know, I feel like there's a, a very amazing opportunity here. We've seen that uh, cost basis be really, really good support for other collections. So this to me feels like a, an opportunity. It's, I love the art, but it's also partially why I'm looking at it. It just, it feels like, a, I, you know me, I'm big on this asymmetric upside. There feels like there's a tremendous upside, especially... If you're willing to to hold for the long term, like I am for my personal collection, right, right, and and why do we talk? We talk about that for the people who do need to think about it as an investment because of the price. And not everybody does, but for those folks who say, you know, I really want one of these. Is this a good investment? 
we think over the long term, this could do quite well. Is it the best time to buy it? I, I don't know. I have no idea what the price is going to be tomorrow. The short-term volatility is basically impossible to predict. If you can, call me. We'll go become billionaires together um, in these markets, but it's, it's fairly impossible. All right. So, so let's hop into the collection itself. So I'll tell you, Thomas, I attempted for some of these to do my best as to what these various different categories in the metadata result in visually. And the first one here is uh, alignment. We, we did this alphabetically. And uh, showing here on the screen, now we're back on DECA.art. We were over on article to look at prices. But here on our DECA gallery, we're showing the uh, alignment trait, which, sorry, the alignment category, which is four traits, drunk, sloppy, precise, and perfect. And going from left to right on our screen, all in the, the jungle palette, we have a drunk, a sloppy, a precise, and a perfect. Uh, I think I know what this refers to, but I I don't want to guess and be wrong. So I'm just going to ask you, Thomas. I think it, you know what, I guess I'll try. I can't help it. I think it's the way that the screens really uh, interact with each other and, and come together where they intersect. But I'll let Thomas, the expert, tell us. Yeah, so so screens is, is based on multiple different layers of even color, right? And that's that's really how it, it mimics silkscreen printing, where you put in one color at a time based on a screen where you color it in. And this this gives room for uh, for human error or used machine error in this uh, in this case. But the alignment of each color layer to one another can be good or bad. And and drunk as you can see over there, like the green the green coloring layer is just like completely turned around and angled in the wrong way. Like that is the extreme, but it also actually has like a, a parallel when you're doing silk screen printing, because when you're testing out colors, you would usually just slap like screens on top of each other and just like see how they interact and so on. So you can see that, but it's like, you would never do that as a human error unless you were extremely drunk, of course. <laughs> and but then you shouldn't make screen prints. And then there's just a progression of, of uh, more and more precise alignment between the different layers. But it's it's still like it's it's stochastic in the sense that like in theory, you could have a drunk where by chance they were all aligned perfectly. It's just like it, it's a measure of the maximum possible diversion or divergence between like the perfect and the worst. So like perfect, they will they will always be perfectly aligned. But like a sloppy could be perfectly aligned by pure randomness, but it's it's unlikely to right. So it's like how how much freedom do I allow each each color layer to move independently of each other? I have to tell yeah. you, of all the traits, the drunk <laughs> is by far my favorite. I it's obviously statistically rare with only twelve of them in the collection, but for for something that is so well thought out, it just it has this like erratic randomness to it that uh, is surprising when you come across it, and it just feels very uh, accidental if you if you yes. if I can say. And so it just it, but at the same time, you know, I could I could envision somebody just being blitzed out of their mind, you know, trying to do screen printing and, and, and resulting with this and waking up the next morning being like, okay, yeah. you know, and, and it, it, yeah, it, just, exactly. it, it feels fun to me. It's definitely a fun trait. I had, I like, I had fun dialing that in. I, I knew it was going to be a rare 
thing, not because I wanted to make it valuable, but because like it, it would ruin the balance of the whole set if, if that was extremely common. It is one of those like like surprise things. And, and I don't like, I wouldn't say that drunk pieces are more beautiful than others, like in, in no way, but, but they create context around the whole collection that a few of them exist. Right. Well, I, I love that you said that because I think this is super interesting about generative art, how you come to appreciate different pieces differently once you see them within the breadth of the whole collection. Yeah. And exactly. I, I also love this because Jared alluded to the fact that the drunk is more rare. There are 12 of the drunk out of the thousand, 82 perfects, 287 sloppies, 619 precises. And the drunk is there are none none of those for sale. There's a premium on the perfect. Those are at a floor price of four. So about one point three times the floor. Interestingly, the sloppy being more rare is right at the floor. And also you mentioned something that the sloppies actually don't necessarily have to be sloppy. It just has a greater chance of being sloppy. So yeah. I wonder mm -hmm. if in the future as people are collecting screens, they'll identify which of the sloppies actually end up being precise by chance, or maybe even drunk by chance, and if those will uh, later be something people collect around. I think yeah, Trill, has, Trill has a Berlin sloppy that I, or a drunk that I just absolutely like adore. It's, it's, so, uh, it's so beautiful the way the, and it's the Berlin palette, so the way the, the reds and the blues just seem to intertwine and dance together. Uh, it's the one in the bottom right on your, um, your Got screen. Got it, 279 there. Yeah, number two seventy nine. It's just it's it's beautiful the output, and, and I just I find it I find it just fun and playful, and and I do agree with Thomas that like the the output of twelve feels right sized for the the collection because it's just kind of one of those fun pieces to all pun intended to stumble across. Yeah, otherwise we would have had to call it drunk screens, right? Yeah. The whole collection. <laughs> Jared, you want to talk us through border? Yeah, border. It's a it's another binary trait, um, meaning you either have a border or you do not have a border. I'm there's, there's 105 of the the no borders. I mean, I'm always a big fan of the borderless category. You see it pop up in a couple of different collections. I love just seeing the screen print go from edge to edge, but you know you can see it on screen right now. Is you know you got one that the color goes all the way to the edge, and then you've got a very distinct uh, border which represents roughly 90% of the collection. So. Yeah, awesome. Just, just quickly, like, like I think border on our, like, it's one of those traits you see in a lot of generative art collections, and it's kind of an ornamental trait. Like, like it's, it's not really related to the system in any way. Like, you can, you can turn it off, you can turn it on. It's like it's a presentational trait that that doesn't imbue anything around the algorithm itself. So it's surprising that it is so interesting for people. Look like, like it's it's uh, it's an interesting thing, but but when I when I look at borderless, they they definitely have a different feel than the other. And it's not better or worse in my, in my sense, but it's just it's always interesting to me how much that 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 area around the piece actually does for how you feel. Like like the, the borderless feels so in your face in in many ways. Like it's it's way more immersive, even though it's just like like very few percent added piece that you have. Yeah, it is It is funny how that is. And maybe it's just our conditioning around seeing pictures and frames that comes about. I'm not sure, but I wanted to ask you, since you brought it up, how did you think about 
the the number of pieces that you might want to be borderless, given that it is, like you said, sort of this like uh, an add-on type of trait. Yeah, I like I, the reason why borderless is is less prevalent is that I, I think in screens the border adds something to it, uh, specifically because you can see like you can see the edges of each color screen and how they are misaligned at the edge. And you cannot see that in the borderless because they extend beyond the edge. So so you can you kind of get the sense of of the like the dimension of the screen and how it has been rotated and slightly shifted related to each other. And I wanted like the, the majority of, of the pieces to have that feel. Got it. Amazing. Well let's move on to clipping. This one I, I'm not even gonna try because I, I can't really <laughs> figure it out. Uh do you want to just talk us through it, Thomas? Yes, of course. So in screens, the way that the compositions are made are based on up to three different what I call actors that that kind of give rise to these horizontal objects that are also calling screens. So if you look at the first one to the left, you, you see there is a spiral actor there giving rise to this spiral structure. And there's another actor, I think, um, probably say that it's, it's a circular actor off screen that we can see in this middle one yeah and in the middle one is the spiral and the circle as well and you have a spiral and some <laughs> i think two straight actors there uh on the, on the right one anyways so so a lot of the intriguing things that happens in screens pieces is how these different actors interact with each other like how what happens when they overlap the structures that they create what happens when they overlap and the clipping category is is kind of what encodes codes it you can either have spaces where you see like every time something intersects like like two lines intersect you would purely by chance you would choose one of them to cut through the other and you would create like a buffer area around that that cut zone so you can see that you end up with here a lot of the blue ones are cut through, but also a lot of some of the some of the spiral yellow ones are also cut through, and and you see like this the spacious region around where they used to intersect, right? It's a bit hard to come. I, I hope it makes sense. No, that was great, and that was number twenty one for people listening just on audio, and then yeah. here number nine sixty is a tight one. Yeah, and there's actually no clipping there. You can see like they they just cut through each other. Completely. There is no buffer zone around intersecting areas. They're, they're just there. It can give rise to, like, like the tight clipping is, is definitely one of those that can give rise to some, some, some pretty surprising results for, for a lot of different reasons. Partly because uh, the structures get so long because they're not cut through. So, so some of the gradients become like, like super, super long and super, super like hard to identify. Anyway, so dominating is that, that one of the actors is, uh, is selected and say, well, you will always win when you intersect. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you will never be cut up by anything. You will always cut the others up. So, so that, that results in pieces where you have like one extremely well defined structure existing between all the other structures, but that will always like, be one dominating structure and and then a lot of things going on that is kind of getting cut to pieces by it, so to say. Oh, that's so cool. So in this one that we have on the screen, 245, 
would you say the spiral is the dominant actor? Yeah, here? yeah, it, it, it's always winning, as you can see. Like everything else is, is being cut up by the arms of the spiral. And I don't know if you're able to pull this up, but 247 is a spiral with almost just the opposite of, uh, you know, from a dominating perspective. It's actually pretty cool to see these hard lines. And it, it, I've never seen it, and I didn't pick up on this one earlier, but you start to see that those hard lines intersecting the spiral and not being honored yeah. in that sense. So the spiral exactly. is not dominant in this case. No, here, here that's, it, it would be the, the square actor that is mm -hmm. uh, always winning. So, so Thomas, are these actors in the metadata? My sense is they're not. <laughs> they, they are not uh, by design. So, so I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want people to focus on whether it's a spiral or whether it's like, like, like to me, the interesting thing is is how they interact with each other, basically, and that is the style trait that we can uh, move into. Like that, that is how they are placed. And how they interact is is the clipping. So so it's it's kind of some meta categories instead of being like super obvious in the traits about what's in there. Wanted to be a bit more like behavioral in the, right. in, the, in some of the traits. Right, and for all the artists listening, we collectors love that. We love the Easter egg hunt and trying to find this, the thing that maybe other people didn't notice. Uh, so it, it probably wasn't fully intentional for that reason. Uh, but it, it definitely manifests that way. And just to round out clipping, dominating their 81. Uh, actually, I'll just hop on to Archipelago so people can see this. So of the dominating type, I'm uh, oh, sorry, of the dominating clipping type, there are 81. There are 104 tight and then 815 spacious. Dominating has the highest premium five ether floor, about twice the floor right now. Spacious and tight are about the same. Yeah, this is super cool. Thank you for explaining that. That makes a ton of sense now, and it, it's it's really interesting. So, moving on to the next category, which is color, and here on our Decada art screen, we're showing it in the somebody I used to love palette, which I, I love the name of that palette as well. I tried to find the the black and pink ones. I really enjoy that contrast shown here on the screen, and so for the color category, there is calm, chaotic, condensed, and gradient. Thomas, I, I I believe this has to do with how the color moves across any single one of the screens, uh, but I'll I'll let you talk to that uh, because I wasn't a hundred percent sure. <laughs> sure, it, it is also not like super obvious. So the color category, together with the palette category, is obviously the two like categories that that define how which colors and how the colors are used in a piece. And the color category is is about from any given palette, how is the color assigned to the different structures that I'm drawing? And and for the comb, which is that is obviously one of, or not obviously that is it's one of the harder things to to look into the comb color coloring strategy. What it says is that a gradient across a structure should only go from like one color in the palette to the to an adjacent color in the palette. And since the palettes are, they are organized slightly by how light they are. So from, from the lightest color and up to the darker ones. And that's also how they are layered. So, so you start with the light colors and then move up and, and like making them darker and darker and darker. The calm coloring means that gradients would be, will be less contrasty because they're, they're moving between 
they're, they're only moving between two colors that are as close to each other in lightness as possible. So, so for instance, in this piece, you cannot have a gradient that, that goes from, from black to, to, to light pink. Mm -hmm. It can only go from black to, to the dark blue or teal, dark teal. And in some of the pieces, you, you, you definitely see that this creates a way less contrast, a way more calm coloring of, of the final piece. Now, chaotic is, is just everything goes like, like purely random. I pick two colors for each structure to, to create a gradient between. And that is kind of the, that is the default in some sense of, of, uh, of screens in the same way that spacious is the default clipping. Then, then chaotic is the default coloring strategy. Like it can, it can be a mess, but usually it's, uh, wouldn't say by chance, but it, it usually works out. Condensed is a system where each actor has one color. As you can see here, it's, it's, it's less obvious here, but we have two circular actors and one is assigned the red and the other is assigned the pink and structures within one actor can only go from, from black or the darkest color to the chosen color or from the chosen color to the lightest color. So, so each actor will have like a, a, a clear color identity. And it can create some, some very, very strong focus on the different structures in the, in each piece, because they're not only like they, they have the color to combine it as well. And not just like the placement and, and space and so on. And the last one is, uh, is gradient where, uh, color, you can even see it when it builds up, like color is a gradient from, from the bottom to the top in how it's assigned. So, so the lightest colors will be assigned to um, structures that are closer to the button and, and darker color will be assigned to structures that are closer to the top, which can give a very structured like end piece because it like you have some very clear areas of, of even color that you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for explaining this, Thomas. This is awesome. And I... I won't ask you too many questions because I have so many, <laughs> but it's, I, I just want to say, I love how well thought out this is. And, you know, not that that's unexpected, but, you know, you don't normally hear it. And it's really fun to hear how you thought through a lot of these details. And it, it seems like, so calm is actually the most rare. There are only 45 calm. And then there are 136 gradient, then 327 of the condensed, and then 492 of the chaotic uh, there doesn't really seem to be much of a price difference or a premium put on any of these although now that thomas has explained it all who knows what happens uh, <laughs> but that that's kind of the update to, for the folks trying to figure out how the market values this why don't we head over to the next category grain jared do you have any thoughts uh this one i could figure out um so, <laughs> jared did you, did you want to tee this one up at all or should we just let thomas take it I'll I'll take my my swing at it because this is one that I'm I'm really really fascinated by and I I think the aesthetic outputs are a little bit more obvious. There's 17 brushed and brushed obviously on screen. Uh, on the left is you could see as though uh, you know after a screen print somebody had to you know maybe just gently brush or or take a brush across the the wet ink and you, you kind of start to see the the smear of of colors into and across one another. I think it's a really, it's a lighter trait that I find very, very appealing to me. Again, not just because of the rarity, just aesthetically, I feel it's a, it almost reminds me of like, if somebody were doing a screen print, the, I, I guess I'm just like for accidental chaos. Uh, I love that drunk, but the screen, the, the brush, it feels as though somebody like 
dragged something over it or, or took a brush and it just it feels intentionally chaotic but at the same time uh very light so i i love it you can see the, the almost as if there was the brush strokes or the the hairs of the brush going across it the next one is coarse and this one's fairly obvious also in the sense that the 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 plotting of the ink in the screen would be more granular and it appears to have uh just exactly as the name really infers that that coarser appearance so very, I actually really enjoy this one also. And then uh, the next two categories, you see uh, a little bit more examples of it. Uh, one being fine with 202 on screen, that's number 705. And uh, the, you know, the, the pixelation, for lack of technical terms, I feel like I'm not doing it justice here. In, in, in sorry, Jerry, this one was the fine 337. Oh, sorry, my bad, 337. And you could see that the there's a there's a fine granular nature to it, um, super super well. You know the transitions between colors are very well defined, and then uh, medium becomes a little bit less granular, but still that fluidity uh, still has a a presence about it, in my opinion. Um, again, I'm not going to speak for Thomas here. You can feel free to tell me if I'm right or wrong, but obviously the the brushed and course have a, a more. Uh, spot on. <laughs> bold uh appearance and so i think that you know algorithmically they seem to be less frequent but you know i think they're a beautiful nuance to the algorithm and, and not a dominating factor so it's a it's a cool little variant and and i just checked there are none that are drunk alignment and brushed i was hoping there would be one or two because that would be kind of cool um may, may, maybe in an output someday we'll, we'll see what those <laughs> So, so fun fact, we, we haven't gone to, to splotches yet, but there is, now we're talking about, so there is exactly one piece that is fine and that is perfectly aligned and is splotchless. So like like a piece that is as close to perfection in terms of, of printing quality. And there's only one in the whole series that has this uh, combination of traits. Oh you man. heard it first. <laughs> oh man, well, that, okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Jared mentioned in grain how the brushed is, there are only 17 of them. That has by far uh, the, the highest price premium within this category, followed by coarse, uh, which of which there are only 53. And then medium and fine are about the same. Although I will say I actually am really quite drawn to the fine ones. I like the ones that look uh, more clean. And uh, there are a couple other categories that I think contribute to that as well. But yeah, I mean, to, to your point, Thomas, almost all of these have imperfections as you try to design in, uh, but some of them are relatively less so. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just like those fine ones. Don't have anything more articulate to say. So let, let's go to the next category, uh, which is palette, which of course is the color scheme. Well, uh, to some extent, it's the colors that are chosen. We talked a little bit about the color category and how that impacts the gradient within each of these screens. And I, I will tell you, I asked Thomas to pick out some of his favorite palettes, and I realized that was unfair of me. It's like asking him which is, uh, of his children are his favorite. And so he, he was gracious enough to answer that question. But I'll tell you, Thomas, I made sure that we highlighted every single palette on our deck of gallery here. So, so none of them are left out. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, do you, do you want to talk about the, the palettes that you chose at all? Or if there's any anything particularly you want to Yeah, highlight? we can do this. So, so, so I, I really enjoy Autumn. And 
not just because of the feelings that give, but but it's also like I think it's the it's the palette within the collection that has the biggest breadth. Like like it it uh, the different colors that it encodes because a lot of these palettes that are in screens are, are, are fairly simple. Like like few colors are used, but uh, but autumn has like quite a lot more colors and because of the way that the coloring can be can be done some of these can be left out and the the design of, of autumn is so that the feeling of the piece can can change considerably if you only have like a subset of these colors so, so i think like for me autumn has the biggest breadth of it all and and like i haven't found a, a combination of a subset that doesn't have its own like qualities and uh, characteristics so I, i'm really enjoying that yeah, absolutely. And and on screen here, we're just showing archipelago.art and you see number 35 looks very different even than number 34, even though they're both the same autumn palette. And then 57 here is almost has no black, whereas 35 has quite a bit of black on there. So both of that variation and colors that don't exist in, in both, right? There's some oranges here mm. in uh, 57 that are not in 35. And I believe Berlin was one of yours, right? Yeah, as well. Like uh, that's just fantastically bold, and and like it's it, it feels like something you would put up in Berlin in in like thirties, and just like like I, I can't really articulate why I enjoy it so much, but it's just like the, the contrast between the teal and the red. It just makes both the colors as the most vibrant uh, personality, so it just jumps at you, um, and I think it. It suits both the, the idea of silk screen printing, which is a way of really getting like way more vivid colors than you can do with uh, regular inkjet printing, but also like like the, the history of silk screen printing and so on. I think it's it's imbued perfectly in this palette. Well, this is one of my favorite palettes too. I just think the way the the colors come together is brilliant. It pops perfectly. It just I, I don't know why, but it just incites such uh, such happiness in the way they they're playful together. I mean brilliant selection and colors and it's just the way it, it's it, it's harmonious the way they play together this, this is a phenomenal palette in my opinion yeah I, I think it works extremely well with the overall like kind of uh retro feel of of the screens and yeah uh, I, I enjoy it a lot too and i know it's 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 one of the more the more popular ones we'll, we'll get to that and then this one both the unique i think in the color combination and the the name yeah, to the distant the, memory. It's it's a very unique palette within screens. I think like like it, it it imbues such a different vibe into the pieces than than everything else. Like like to me, it is like like full on melancholy. It's like you've forgotten memories of your childhood chamber full of toys. Like like it's I can't really explain it, but but it's just like this ephemeral. Like you can't quite grasp it. Melancholic idea of how things used to be that is like uniquely imbued into the pieces using this, this palette. A lot of the other palettes are, are way more bold, but this one is just so flimsical and yeah, I really enjoy it also just because it's so different. Awesome. So the next one here is one that I chose. I've really been into like contrast with black and red lately. And this one is the uh, rose with some really cool uh, symbolism that you used to create the name of it. And I also wanted to highlight this one because it is the most rare palette out there. There are only, I forget the exact number, seven of these. And so yeah. very, very cool ones. 
And the next one, both Jared and I like this one was stencil. Again, there's just mm. something about the contrast. And you know what I I really like the granularity, particularly of the pieces in the stencil, sorry, palette name. I just think it adds another layer to it. I mean, the the, the granularity that is obvious in screens is 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 very unique and interesting and, and captivates my attention, but it's particularly captivating for me within the stencil background. If you have any thoughts on this one, Jared, I know you're a huge fan. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. The just in general, we've talked about this very often. How the the aesthetic of the the black and white, and then the shades in between, are becoming prevalent. You know, not only in you know, the factura for me, but also anti-cyclones and a few others, like it's just, it, it hits differently. And I think it's, it's amazing the way the, the transitions from black to white and the shades of gray interchange, uh, specifically for this project. And then especially once you start getting splotches in there, it just, it feels as though there's a, and a really amazing, I'll call it a touch of just something. So, you know, especially when it, it's that throwback to the old screen printing, you know, you almost feel like black and white you know newspapers were in print there's this black and white nature to it so it just it felt relevant and like super easy on my eyes so just like where berlin was super vibrant this one is very calming to me and it, it creates a, a sense of connection to the time personally all right and the last one we picked out as some of our favorites was the bauhaus bauhaus now i can't say it properly <laughs> And uh, this one, I enjoyed it just because I, I really love the color combination between, between the greens and the blues. <laughs> oh, greens, jeez, sorry. Yellows and the blues and the reds. And of course, like quite a bit of variety here. And uh, maybe you can speak to this one for a second, Thomas. As a, I think, I actually don't think yeah. this was one of the ones you highlighted, but I'm sure. You, you no, I, well, I, I do really enjoy it. But yeah, so, so Bauhaus is... Um, I think it's a crowd favorite or at least it was uh, just after lunch of the project i think it, it works really well with this project because it is three extremely vibrant colors and it it, it embodies a lot of the um, the feel of, of modern art that that was being developed around the bauhaus movement but also like movement adjacent to it like the steel and so on that like they were uh, focused extremely heavily on these primary colors and how they interacted and so on. So it, like to me, it was a no-brainer to have like a, a very, very heavy and dense primary color palette in there. And the naming of Bauhaus was also quite obvious to me. Like it, like it, in some sense, it, it really embodies a lot of the inspirations that I had for this, uh, this project. Just yeah, colors. It's, it's great. I, I really love this one over here. Number 281. It just, it feels like it's like a maze, you know, like you could be walking mm. around this maze trying to find your way out. And you're right, Thomas, if you, you we just hopped over to the article, if you look at the palettes, the rose is the most rare and the most expensive as a floor of 20. So quite a bit more than the collection floor. Uh, but Bauhaus being relatively common with 137 actually has quite a price premium. It's near the top of the, the more, you know, around four ether. So your intuition is right. And stencil is up there too. And there's a range. If you go on an article, folks listening, you can see that, that there's a range with all the palettes. And, you know, it's something where I would say just, just pick one you like 
and especially if there's one of these that tends to have a premium near the floor and you like it, I would get it, but I wouldn't necessarily buy one because it's a quote unquote rare one near the floor. I, I would just say buy one that you enjoy for the palettes. Yeah, this is one of my favorites too. And in, in, even though it is the third most common statistically, it always has carried a premium. I mean, I've been on the hunt for one of these at or near the floor and it's, it just doesn't happen. Um, it, it's, and again, I feel like I'm just throwing a bunch of Thomas love here, but I think that this palette is, has popularized a lot of other artists since then. I mean, maybe it's common to see, see these together, but I think this was one of the first projects where it became notable to me and I've seen it, or maybe this is a confirmation bias, but with like some level of uh, higher frequency since, since you did screens because of how popular this has become just amongst collectors, in my opinion, it's, it is uh, one that I think almost unanimously, I don't like certainty, so I'm not going to say 100%, but damn near unanimous, embraced by by the collector community. This is definitely a palette that I will have in my collection one day because it's. I think the, the colors are just beautiful and I love that there's a higher frequency of them because it allows more collectors to get into it. All right, the screens category. So this relates to the physical nature of the screens. I'm going to pause there and, and let <laughs> Thomas describe it better, but medium, tall, thin, varied, and you can kind of see that. But uh, Thomas, I'm sure you have a much more articulate way to describe that. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons why it's a bit difficult to talk about some of these traits is that, that screens just comes, it's used to describe very different things within screens. Like it's, it's called screens. But also these, like the, the lines emanating out from actors in different ways is also like internally in my head is called screens, like, like they're kind of windscreens that you can put up because like these, these lines that, for instance, from the spiral, we have lines that goes out and then they are kind of protruded downwards to create like a, a three dimensional piece of paper or sheet of paper that is bent uh, in a certain way and, and is drawn with a, with a color gradient on it. And the screens category for the screens project is describing like how how long, like like how much protrusion is is being done to that screen. So so they they can either be like medium where you can actually like you can see some places you can see the bottom of each of these screens. Like you can see that it ends again. We want to, for instance, down. Yeah, exactly. Like like it actually has a bottom. Whereas if you have the tall ones, they are like effectively infinite, they, they are much, like, much taller than than the viewing area. So, so if you have a, if you have a screen, it will protrude all the way down to the bottom and beyond. So you'll never see the bottom of of any of these pieces. And then you have the thin ones, which is obviously thinner, and they are so thin that that the background coloring of the piece is 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 really prevalent within here. Here, the background coloring is is black, but it's really prevalent in the piece and you have some very, very simplistic pieces with uh, with these thin screens. And the variant is then that each actor will get like a thinness to the So here the spiral is thin and the square is, is tall and so on. So you'll have a mix. And what you see with the variant uh, trait is that you sometimes have this feeling of the thin actor kind of floating between all of these tall structures as a singular object, which is kind of a cool effect. It's not as pronounced in this piece as you've found here, but but you can 
if you, if you look at the the varied trade, you can sometimes get this feeling of of yeah one one structure that is encapsulated in a city of of like like super tall buildings or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if you can catch my drift. No, yeah, and and here we're on Archipelago now, number nine twenty seven. You can see that, and this is really interesting. The varied ones. Now that we're talking about it, and I, I'm looking at the deeper. These are really, really cool. And the market has spoken. There's only two of these for sale uh, of the varied, even though there are 125 varied. So it's not the most rare. Thin is actually the most rare with 26. But varied is, is by far the highest price premium. And my guess is that you get a lot more interesting shapes that emerge from that, uh, even just looking at it here based on that, that trait. Yeah, for the the listeners, I I equated uh, what Thomas refers to as screens within the screens is almost like the ribbons. So the if you look if you the way I thought about it is that the height of the ribbons is yeah. really what this uh, trait impacts. So I mean, it's just visually, it's how I wrapped my head around it as I was diving deep into this. Yeah, right. ribbons is a good word. <laughs> Perfect, amazing. Well, thank you for explaining that and. By the way, Thomas, this is like a hall of fame of collectors. Well, actually, I don't know this first one here, but these with the Iceland palette. We have Punk 6529. We have uh, Radix, who's another artist. And, uh, and we have Curated. So there you go. That was, that was by accident. I did not look <laughs> into that on purpose. All right. So Stroke. Okay. This one, I, I, I do feel like I can finally get one of them. <laughs> so the, the Stroke category refers to if you look at the the top of the screen within the image how outlined that is so dark outline there are only sorry there are 114 of them and it's quite like a well-defined line here and so so on screen number 942 shows that here and then the calm stroke is you can still see the outline but it's, it's not quite as defined as, as the dark one and then none has uh, of course that there you know it's just purely the color there's no dark outline of uh, sorry no black outlining on top of the color and there are 58 of the comms those are the most rare and those also hold the price premium around eight ether at the moment so around two and a half times the floor how, how did i do on that one thomas that's pretty pretty close so, so the calm with the calm one is is that the outline color is based on the darkest color in the gradient of that particular ribbon that's called that so so it's it's it will always be less contrasty compared to the dark one because it's it will it will be one of the colors that are already in there by chance or like like uh, through the gradient and i think like the stroking is is uh, like it's a it's a very small thing to add but it completely changes the way that the picture is perceived because it it adds some materiality to the ribbons that, that kind of, it gives it a more pronounced uh, three-dimensional feel. Like like you're in a scenery rather than you're looking at an abstract graphical splash of color, right? So so like this this small trick to just add outlines, it's really changed the way you perceive the, the image. I really like these, like how you can do a lot with a little. Absolutely. And I, I'm personally really drawn to the dark. I just love that sort of the contrast there, as you put it. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll circle back to splotches. I didn't actually uh, create one of those. I wanted to show folks that. But 
style. So this is one that I was a little bit confused on. Jared, I don't know if you were want to talk through this one or we'll just have Thomas do it. I was going to punt this one, Thomas. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this is one of those like meta categories because it's style. What it really does is define how many and how different actors are in the piece. Um, basically so a hero uh, the hero style is you have one actor and it's it and you can see like uh, the, the blue one to the to the left you have one spiral so so, so it creates like a, a very very strong simple composition usually very much in your face but also not a lot of room for emergency because it's it's just that spiral or it's a, a lot of concentric circles there's no room for clipping, for instance, because there's only one actor and there's no, like, one actor will never give rise to uh, intersecting ribbons. So there's no clipping. There's not a lot you can do. On the other hand, you have, like, a really strong symbol composition. Collapse is 50 different actors, but they're all of the same type. So here you have, like, 50 different straight actors like actors that creates straight line segments, but each actor only make one. So usually you have one actor and it will create like 50 ribbons from, from the same like offset point. But here you have like 50 separate ones, 50 se separate uh, offset points that gives rise to one screen each. So, so this is like, this is the, the room for, for maximum chaos. And it's also one of the, the styles where you can have like the most amazing emergent behavior of all. Order and chaos is, is one of the, the styles that have room for three different actors. And each of the three are different. I'm sure, I'm remembering that right. So, so you have three different actors. So here you have a spiral. You have, and, and I'm not always in the capacity to actually be able to say which actors are there because some of them are off screen and only intersecting briefly with the, with what we're looking at and so on. But there's obviously a spiral here. And I think we will have uh, two straight actors, maybe. Yeah, two straight actors, I think. Anyway, and let's start from the, from the right antagonist is that you have like two, two, two actors and they are of different type. So here we have a spiral and we have a circular actor. But anyway, like, like you can see where we're going with this. So, so this is like the number and the difference between the different actors. So, so it's really, really about like a very much a meta trait because it has profound effect on how it turns out to be in a non, in a very non-obvious way, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's like, like it's 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 underlying how the the piece gets constructed, but it's not obvious. Uh, I would say hero is is quite obvious, but from all the different pieces, all the other different pieces, it, it's it's way more subtle the kind of effect that it has on the end result. Yeah, absolutely, and it looks like company or like actors. It looks like we have multiple spirals here in this piece here in the center of our gallery, and crowd is yeah. probably just maybe a bit of a free-for-all in terms yeah. of what you get there. And uh, I don't think the crowd has really picked up on the nuance, the differences here that you just explained. Just quickly looking at article, the they're all within, you know, all below four ether. 
despite different rarities of these. So it probably ends up being more about that individual piece and the emergent properties to your point, as opposed to any specific thing here. And uh, I I just want to jump over to article really quick, sorry, archipelago really quickly to show people splotches. I didn't put them in our gallery because I thought people would be able to figure it out. So splotches off, there's 102. And actually it's easier to see with splotches on. You see these fine little, well, splotches uh, that add some more texture and uh, a little bit of contrast to the pieces. So, uh, and, and this, of course, having them off. You, you mentioned, Thomas, maybe we can find that one piece you were talking about with the no splotches and, and what else? You're, you're actually, yeah, no splotches and uh, perfect alignment. And the last one was fine grain. Grain. There it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You actually, you actually had it in your gallery. Oh, I did. Um, with the oh. bio, with the Bauhaus. Yeah, I was looking at it. I'm like, oh, I think it's that one. So, so like, like this is like the, the most like how would you perfect clean. Uh, clean. Yeah, clean is probably like the, it's the cleanest screen of them all. There you go. Congrats <laughs> to whoever owns this. No idea who it is. Uh, well, oh, okay, amazing. So. I didn't put any up here, but I wanted to ask you, you, you've talked about emergence a couple of times. Are there any specific types of emergence that you particularly enjoy with screens? I really enjoy when, in general, when we, when you have, let's call them ribbons from now on, when you, when you have ribbons that overlaps and have the same color so that, that you kind of wash out and without border. So you kind of wash out how they like, like they're. The, the definitions between the two different ribbons get washed out because they have the same color, but because they are flowing in different ways in the space, they, they will give rise to some very, I still have to, to explain. For instance, if you, if you go to an article and look at, uh, 469, let's try that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the definitions of each ribbon, it, goes in and out of focus, right? There's, there are places where you have huge contrast between uh, between the ribbon and the background, but then suddenly it moves in front of a, a ribbon with the same color and you suddenly like you kind of lose, lose track of where it's going and then it pops out again uh, in other places and so on. Like, I really li- love that interplay between, yeah, the definition of, of each ribbon. And, and it really, um, it, it, it creates fantastic riddles for the eyes to solve like 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 it, it creates pieces that that you you'll go like huh what what is like 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 what's going on here because everything is not so obvious and 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 the the layering will kind of cloud your interpretation of of the structure in the in the piece so so those are some of the emerging characteristics that i'm i'm really really enjoying in screens and i'm i'm looking for when I'm browsing the, the the collection, that's amazing. And, and now there are so many more after speaking with you that I cannot think of. <laughs> but we 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 will not belabor the point because you've been so generous with it, your time. So I, I want to move on and talk about your top picks of your collection. And again, I I forced Thomas to do this. And he was generous enough to go along with it. But yeah, I'd I'd love to hear about why you chose these pieces. I know there are probably other favorites as well, but why you wanted to highlight these? Yeah, they're definitely other favorites. Like I would say, I have around twenty that I could like throw up there, and then I would be 
to talk about any of them. The Bauhaus to the to the left is um, it's just to me a fantastic graphical output. Like like the, you have almost no sense of depth in this piece, and you have this fantastic cut diagonally through the plane of of, of chaos and order. Because like in the in the lower left part of the of the piece, you have like all of these small different contrasty ribbons interacting with each other, and in the upper right part. You have like way more calm, only uh, horizontal ribbons going across, and like just to me, like it's it's the archetypal graphical strong output of of the algorithm. I really love, love it. I've been happy enough that the print was ordered, so I've seen it in in, uh, in physical as well. It looks great. the The one in the middle is like like it, it embodies what I talked about with uh, dreams of a distant memory. Like like this is. To me, like playful, interacting structures that just underlines this feel of like your old, old toys in a very abstract way. But the coloring and, and the playfulness of the of the shapes and how they interact just like really, really builds on top of each other to to enforce those those qualities that I really enjoy in the palette. And the last one, like. This was one of the, there's a few pieces where like the first time when I saw it, like what is going on here? Like, like where, and it's, it's always fantastic as a, as an artist just to continue to be surprised by the algorithm. And, and this one consistently like messes with my head because like all screens are, are arranged in a way where you're looking down on them at an angle, like the same angle. For every piece there is no change in perspective for any piece they have the same like angular change but this one to me when i look at it it, it looks like a futuristic city looking up I'm, I'm standing on the ground looking up like at a glass city with a with a red sky in the background and and like i still can't quite understand how that effect came to be like you're instead of you're looking down at something suddenly you have the feeling that you're looking up at it despite the perspective being you looking down like like that that always messes with my head and I, and I love that piece for it. You you may have uh, discovered something new of neuroscience, my friend, <laughs> in in creating this piece. Th those are amazing explanations. Uh, I I love it and yeah, this is a fantastic uh, spread of variety of these top three. So thank you for sharing those, Jared. Let's let's get to yours. Yeah. So the the first one that's up is a screen two fifty. I just similar to I think what Thomas pointed out earlier. This one just feels as though the unlike any of the other ones. There's this in, you can see there's the intersection between the spiral and the circles, but you know it's a it's a stencil palette which I obviously have a a, a deep love for, and the the stroke is dark, so you just get these interweaving. Uh, it almost seems like a series of Venn diagrams where the colors are very defined. They 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 fit into their space perfectly and yet uh the way it comes together is just like one of the outputs I, I i felt was very unique and i was just absolutely drawn to it the way um the the gradients work together and the way the the hard lines have to seem to have this interplay i mean there's just a, there's a beautiful like ballet between all the different sections and colors it, it felt different and and just unique to me along the lines next probably something that is not the too crazy, but at the same time, uh, it is number 713. 
this is again another stencil palette. You can see my clear bias on it, but uh, you know, similar to my my love earlier, you have the uh, the brushed grain on it, and it, it just felt uh, again very playful the way way the the colors seemed to have an interplay, and you know, it, it's very I'll call it zoomed in for a lack of artistic terms, and it just from a brush, I think it was like one of the only ones that was uh, in the stencil palette. So obviously statistically rare, but it was beautiful in its own right. And last but not least was number 771. I couldn't go uh, without saying uh, that, that, now I'm gonna mess it up, the Bauhaus palette. But what was really cool is that this was the hero style that we just touched on. So it, 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 to me, it's almost reminiscent of like a corner archetype in the sense that, uh, you know, in Thomas, you, you talked about the perspective being the same. And this one felt different too, like almost like we were looking up at a building. Uh, yeah. And it felt, again, just different. And I think the the way the, the the reds, the yellows, and the blues have this interplay. And, you know, because you are looking at almost what feels like a corner, the way they 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 play with one another, wrapping that, that clear vertical delineation, which is something super uh, intriguing to me. And you know, no, no surprise curated owns this one. So <laughs> I, I won't be able to touch it for another 10 years at probably some astronomical multiple. Jared, these are amazing picks. So I didn't say it earlier, but I, I love you blew my mind with what you were saying about perspective, Thomas, because I realized okay. you, you could have like perspective could have been a trait and the viewer could have been looking at the pieces from different angles. And I'm sure that'll come up at some point in someone's generative artwork, uh, perhaps your own, but I never thought about that. Uh, so, th so that's super cool. Jared, I wanted to say, I saw something different. Now that you said this looked like a side of a building, I actually looked at it, I saw it from like a top view where this is like a bunch of different hallways kind of radiating outwards all within a cube. I guess I keep seeing a maze. I don't know why. And these are really cool outfits, man. Like this middle one reminds me a little bit of those uh, newsprint style meridians that you, you chose there, Jared. And I don't know, Thomas, this first one reminds me a little bit of imprecision. Uh, hopefully that's not <laughs> a, a, an offensive comparison, but just the way that the shapes are outlined and intersecting. Absolutely. Amazing. All right, so I, I will go through mine. Uh, not not quite as sophisticated. This one on the left here, which is number 337, I, I just looked at it and I just thought it looked really interesting. It looked very mechanical and sort of clean, almost like I'm looking at the inner workings of a machine. And it felt different to me than perhaps some of the others. And so it, it just really caught my eye. And, and so I wanted to highlight that one to showcase the breadth of the collection as well. I love spirals. So my middle one here, 897, I really enjoy the stencils, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, this spiral stencil really spoke to me. I know that's that's probably a little bit basic, but what can I say? I, I love spirals. I also like margarita pizza and strawberry ice cream. Those are classics in my opinion. And then the, the last one here is number 391. And uh, what I like about this, let me recall, what was it? it, was, it was some, oh, of course, the, this was a rose palette, but it looked like just ripples of water, almost as if you know, off to the right of the screen, a drop of water had hit and now it was rippling through a pool which uh, was really cool and, and unique. And, and I really enjoyed that part as well. So those, those are uh, the top picks. And I wanted to highlight before we move on just a couple of things. 
uh, because we are going a bit long and normally I talk through these, but I, I want to highlight Thomas's website here, uh, which is uh, data-imaginist.com. And uh, he has a lot of his old art here, which is amazing. Uh, if you ever release these, please let me know before everybody else. I'm just kidding. I know you won't, but uh, th these are quite beautiful. And I know some of these you have put up and, you know, folks, you can find others of Thomas's work uh, in precision is on uh, OpenSea, Archipelago, Rapture, we talked about, but he also has work on objects, his Tezos work, also known origins, some some one of ones. Uh, one foundation. Two. Oh, and foundation. I'm sorry. Not known origins, yeah. foundation. I misspoke. Uh, and, and all of those will be linked. And uh, I, you know, if if you have time, Thomas, we like to do one last thing where we say, okay, if you had, uh, let's say in this case, uh, 25 Ether, what would you buy right mm -hmm. now with screens? Uh, you, you can feel free to opt out or if, if you're running late on time, we can. Uh, 20, like, like, like fill it up or just pick one piece under 25? Uh, as, as many as you want. You can do Collector's spend choice. it all on one. <laughs> or you can say I buy, you know, ten of them, whatever you prefer. Oh, that's a that's a good question. So I'll have to. So, have so to this one it. is is uh it's ordered by floor price now. Correct. Yeah. It, it is. Okay. It is. But yeah, okay. you know, it could be easier to go and open C and sort it high to low since twenty five. Uh, be hard to potentially keep track of if you're buying like seven or so. We can see, and um, some of them are probably priced to. Yeah. too high but <laughs> so I, i've always had a fondness for a76 which is at, at 12 now so that would be half of my budget it's, it's just extremely unique in my head pull that one up oh sorry i got you off screen okay 876 <laughs> don't front run don't front run thomas our listeners <laughs> um try to scroll down a bit and a bit more Oh, this one's cool. 84. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I wouldn't pick that one, though. <laughs> it's cool. But I, I think, uh, let's see. There's, I actually think like uh, 5598 five, down at the bottom at 4. It's also like, like it's it's quite similar to the other coloring and, and composition. But I, I've been looking at that for, for for a while now. And actually, like I think that is it's really nice. I would probably also pick up a Berlin. Maybe this one, 934. Yeah, 886 is sitting there at 40th, which looks amazing in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good one as well. One of those, which put us at around 20. So let's scroll up a bit just to maximize our budget. <laughs> I love it. That's the collector hat coming on now. <laughs> you usually don't shop with a budget, so this is nice to me. I think... If we can squeeze it in, then perhaps the pink one, the the two, four, three. I, I love those two uh, dueling, dueling spirals. Uh, yeah, and and don't worry, we allow for some strategic we thing in this game. Play, <laughs> so. But I mean, that is just it could be in, like, like as you said, I have nine in my own wallet. Like like I am. I enjoy browsing it and I have to stop myself from buying my own work when it comes to screens. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, of pieces I could potentially want to, to pick up. How about you, Jared? What do you got on your list? Yeah, I, I was cheating. And while Thomas was, uh, was, was scrolling, I, I kind of was able to, to front run some of it. 
I'm torn because uh, there's a Bauhaus Bauhaus uh, brushed for twenty two nine, but I don't want to blow all my my money there. So <laughs> th- that's in the back of my head. Um, eight eight six. That Berlin borderless Berlin is one that uh, I definitely would pick up. Number six hundred is a uh, you know the bold lines on a Bauhaus there. I think that thing's beautiful. The way they you know to to continue with the the maze theory. You know, it, it's and that's five, so nine total. And then uh, I tried to sort just by uh, my my favorite palettes, and I might have kind of a, a cop out response. But then I would just go and and scrape pretty much all of the the Bauhaus and or Berlins that would be in there. And there's a plethora of them. You know, there's eight number eighty four. I think is an amazing uh, representation of the Bauhaus and the, the way it kind of came together. That's five. So now I'm at fourteen. There's two coarse Bauhauses uh, at four. In another course, Berlin at five. So that that damn near gets me at my uh, my twenty five, and I think that's a beautiful representation of the the output. You know, to, for further clarity, that's screen two hundred six at four eighth, screen three three four uh, at four, and then one seven seven, which is that course Berlin. I think just the the course Berlin at five point one, just is is a, it almost looks like a, a beautiful explosion, this beautiful point, and then the the coarseness almost falls off as you get further and further from that uh, that single point so I, I just think that all of those are amazing amazing representations of the the output i think we gave you too much money i can keep yeah. track of all that <laughs> no no they, these are amazing and i would probably buy a bunch of them i would probably try to collect a bunch of lower priced ones only because there's so many i like i don't you know, just get more. So I would get 568. It looks very abstract and really interesting to me. Uh, I, I love that one, 568. I also would get 600, Jared. This this feels like futuristic. It feels like, I don't know, something I'd see in a space show uh, or like on a spaceship or something like that. Uh, so that has me around eight ether. And uh, I won't I won't torture the audience. Uh, I, I, I think I would just go for something that is now, what do I have? I have uh, 17 or so left. Yeah, I'm going to say that I was able to WE a couple of those and I'll get 835, this brushed uh, Bauhaus. I think that is going to be like, a, I mean, it probably is already a grail the way it's priced, but that's just going to get better and better. Like I said, I need to have something that I can flex out of this collection. Uh, not, not that I can't with the other ones, but you know, within the collection at least. All right. Wonderful. Just any parting thoughts, Thomas? Anything that you'd love to tell our audience? I feel like I've talked a lot. So I don't know. Like if if you end up if you have border screen, if you end up picking up one, like like come to my Discord in the Artblocks chat. Like I, I love to engage with you and hear your thoughts about what you picked up and if you have questions and so on, like as we talked about, like I, I feel like it's a it's a two way relationship. So, like, make yourself known. I would love to to see what you what you pick up and what you like. And just like, thanks again for having me. It has been a pleasure. Absolutely. And where else can people find you? Or is that uh, Artbox Discord channel the best place? That and Twitter is is uh, the place to reach out to me. I think. Yeah. Got it. And you're at Thomas P eighty five, correct? Yes, exactly. Thomas with an H, and we'll have that in the show notes. Jared, any parting thoughts? 
parting thoughts. I'm beyond grateful for all of Thomas's time, not only being late, but just your your commitment to explaining this the screens project. I hope our audience uh, can see the passion, the commitment, the intention behind the algorithm. I think it's absolutely amazing. Uh, you've inspired me uh, on the collection. You've inspired me to, and I think us. I'll speak for Pete to integrate more artists into this process because you're your perspective into it has been absolutely mind-blowing. So um, eternally grateful for the time and the generosity that you've given us. It, it was really, really amazing. And I'm honored by everything that you've shared with us. So thank you. My pleasure. Really well said, Jared. As always, far more articulate than I can be. I just want to say, again, of course, thank you, Thomas. We really appreciate this. It's been super fun. And we appreciate you you doing this. I mean, you've been building open source software for a long time, and now you're bringing this into the world. And you know, I know, I, I get it. This uh, is these things are financially lucrative, but you really bring that ethos of sharing and giving back. And this is a beautiful piece of art that has touched us, and I think will continue to touch a lot of people. Uh, it really uh, a masterpiece in my mind as I've dug in and learned more and more about it. So we really appreciate you sharing this and sharing your time and everything else with our audience. And so we'll we'll wrap it up there. Uh, for everybody listening, thank you again for listening. Please give us feedback. Subscribe on YouTube, on your favorite podcast app. Leave comments, leave reviews, and reach out to us. I am at Aston Cloud Online. We are at collectors underscore XYZ. My co-host Jared is at Jared underscore pause on Twitter, uh, J underscore pause on Discord. And uh, Thomas is at Thomas P 85 we appreciate all you. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey. Please check out our website, www.collectorscorner.xyz for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at collectors underscore XYZ. If you'd like to help us out, please leave us a five-star review on our website, or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better. The Collector's Corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors. All views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. This show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, please consult a professional.